All right, hi everybody. We're gonna go ahead and get started. I hear some awesome networking going on though, so maybe we were listening to the networking session well. Um, so this session is about the job hunt. Um, we have three awesome panelists. Um, I'd like you to introduce yourself and tell us your current job title. Um, there is a microphone over on that side of, um, to the left there, yeah. Hi, okay. Introduce yourself and your current job title. My name is Brooke Jostad, I'm from Colorado, and my current job title is um, Adolescent and Family Therapist Bilingual. Okay, so make sure you talk nice and loud into the mic. I am Lindsay Tilden. I am from San Diego. I'm a speech-language pathologist uh, within elementary school. I'm Tiffany Jolliffe. I am from Arlington, Virginia, and I am a program specialist at the U.S. Department of Labor. All right. Next question, what path led you to your current job? Um, so talking about your school or other jobs, um, anything else that sort of brought you to where you are today? So this is Tiffany. Um, <clears throat> my path actually was through the, and I'm going to put on my, um, my work hat for a second. I work for the Office of Disability Employment Policy, and we run a program called the Workforce Recruitment Program. It is a, uh, it's a program where qualified college students and recent graduates can um, be interviewed and put into a database and potentially matched with federal, um, federal employers for internships or full-time jobs and we're just now going into the private sector too. So that's my quick plug, but I say this because that's how I got into my career. So I was in college, I applied for the workforce recruitment program, my disability services center thought that I would be a good fit for that. So a recruiter came out to my campus, they talked to me, they asked me about different places I wanted to live, what kind of things I like to do, et cetera, et cetera, and they put my name into um, a database where agencies could uh, look at my skill set and try and find me. So I ended up graduating from college in December of 2011 and looking for jobs. I hadn't heard anything back from anybody. And in April, I got a call saying, um, you know, are you interested? We work for the Office of Disability Employment Policy. We saw your resume. Would you want to come out to DC for a summer internship? I did because there were no jobs in Illinois ever. So I went out there I found out that I never wanted to move back to Illinois. They had great transportation, things like that. So my dad said, if you don't have a job by November, you're coming home. I was like, well, crap. So I started applying everywhere. I started working my contacts, a lot of the networking Sarah's talking about. Ended up getting a job first part of October. My first day was Halloween, actually, of 2012. Worked there, kept my network up, talked to my old boss from my internship all the time. In 2014, she said, she called me and said, I have an opening on my team and I want to bring you back. So she actually um, went through her channels and hired me back at Department of Labor. So that's kind of the, in a nutshell, uh, how I got my job. Um, so this is Lindsay again. I am one of the uh, rare people who, not only did I know 
not only did I not change my major during college, um, I decided I wanted to go into speech pathology um, at, towards the beginning of high school. I have a um, younger brother who has autism and so was involved uh, in, in seeing him grow up and go through speech therapy. Um, had it in my mind and also my parents were like, hey, this is something you could do and um, liked working with kids, liked helping people and did a career day shadowing an elementary school speech pathologist in eighth grade and was like, oh my gosh, I love this and um, that was kind of it for me. So I uh, applied to schools that had the program for it. I um, got my bachelor's in communication sciences and disorders uh, and then went on and got my master's degree in speech language pathology um, and my university was incredibly helpful in helping us figure out all of the paperwork and things we needed to do to get um, teaching credentials and state licensures and, and um, networking and finding the districts and places that were hiring. Fortunately, speech pathology is a very in-demand field, so there was lots of openings. Um, applied to a number of districts and private practices around San Diego, where I was from, and come, wanted to stay living. Um, and found my job got hired about a month after finishing with my master's and I have stuck with that district and I'm very happy there. So that's my story but is a little bit atypical for the uh, current day and age with networking and things. Um, so I started freshman year of college as an international studies major um, and then by the end of my freshman year of college realized I didn't want to travel internationally so that was the wrong major. <laughs> so I decided to switch to social work. Um, started there, um, got my bachelor's in Texas and then moved uh, to Colorado to get my master's. Um, in the way I got my first job, which transitioned into my current job, was through an internship. So um, through an unpaid internship, I, I kept in contact with that supervisor, um, got my first job, and then um, the way I got my current job was just that I was on the hunt for jobs and applied and knew nothing about it and interviewed and got it. Um, and it was a social work position um, at a residential adolescent care facility which was not at all the direction I was planning on going because I'm really into grants and fundraising. So it was really just an experiment that ended up going well for me. Um, so I've been there for two and a half years now doing um, individual family and group therapy for adolescents um, in residential care. So it kind of happened by accident, but sometimes um, that works out, so. Great, thank you. Um, another question, how can we prepare ourselves for the job hunt, especially as people who are blind or visually impaired? I was thinking a lot about this question um, when Sarah sent them out, and one thought that I have um, is to really not only make it sound like, but believe myself that my disability is an asset. Um, when I got hired at my current job, I did end up asking my employer, you know, what was your thought when you saw me as a blind person? And, and he said, 
you I actually that put you ahead of people because we want diversity with our kids. And I know that's not how people always respond to us, but we always have the option to choose that for ourselves and to choose it as an asset um, in how we present it. Um, so my advice is, you know, in looking for jobs and for advertising yourself and your skills, your disabil disabilities put us in a, in a place where we can benefit the community at large because we have a different perspective and um, there's no reason we can't present it that way. Um, I'll add on to what Brooke shared, because that's um, fortunately a, a growing perspective in our culture and society uh, of disability. But um, I think in addition, the importance of, of having the self-confidence and, and self-belief and what uh, remembering that what you um, exude from yourself, your confidence, and going into things versus if... Um, if you're feeling very self-conscious or awkward or things, not letting that show through because what what we portray ourselves as is going to help continue um, to shape how others who maybe aren't at the same place of seeing it as being um, just more diversity are going to help them to reach that point and viewpoint. So I have a couple of things. One, um, we typically don't, you know, as people with disabilities, it's hard for us to get those initial, like, teenager jobs, right? Like, you know, you're not going to be a cashier necessarily or, you know, gain that work experience. So ACB is actually an incredible avenue because what you can do is you can build up your leadership experience here, right? You can do volunteering, and that could... Um, leverage you on a resume. You can do the things that you want to do as work um, in in this kind of an organization or whatever organization you like, but you can end up putting that on a resume and bring that to an interview and let people know, you know, I have done this. This is something that I, that is a skill that I have. Um, the other thing I want to say is, because I've seen this, um, be careful what you put on social media. Um, and I can't stress that enough. Yeah. Um, employers are looking, and I didn't think they were, right? So I go to get my first job. I interviewed, and Tony Stevens was actually part of my interviewing panel. Um, and he, he goes, so you're a blind photographer. I'm like, what? He's like, I saw your page on Facebook, saw your pictures. I'm like, crap. Um, unfortunately, everything was appropriate, right? And I had locked my, my social media down. But I mean, there are people that I see who are complaining that they don't have work, they can't find work, but yet all they post on their pages is about their, um, like, maybe drug habits or alcohol uh, consumption. And people are watching. So we need to do um, what's, we need to make ourselves our online presence just as professional as you would in an interview. Thank you. Um, a final question before we open it up to those that are listening. Um, what's one piece of advice that you would give to someone who is looking for a new job? Yeah, go ahead. I'm like, oh. 
uh, I think one of the biggest things is to um, do your research. Whatever field it is that you're looking to go into, whatever kind of job it is, if it's an entry level, what, no matter what it is, do your research as you're looking for and applying for jobs. Know the, the companies or the organizations that you're applying to, you know, look at their online, their websites, their Facebook pages, see what their, their mission statements are, the things that they're really passionate about, and be familiar with those before you go into interviews, because it, it really shows through when you've um, done your research on the company, and they can tell that, oh, this, this person is actually invested and interested enough to have learned what, what we're about, and you know, cares about what the company cares about um, and has made the effort. Um, I think also um, being comfortable, and I think this ties back to a little bit of what um, we were talking about earlier too, but just being passionate about um, who you are and your interests and your professional goals and, and how that fits in with um, the job that you're applying for and let that show through in your application and, and interview. I think I remember mine. Okay, yeah, you go. Okay. My, one of my biggest uh, pieces of advice is be willing to move. Because a lot of times the jobs are not going to be where you are. Um, and I see a lot of people that say, oh, I want to work, I want to work, no one's hiring me. But then when they receive a job offer, and it might be across the country, they don't take it. And sometimes you have a, a strong support network at home, and that is hard, especially as a person with a disability. My parents were terrified. They moved me 700 miles from uh, you know, central Illinois out to DC and had to leave me there and were, were freaking out. And I had to go in and build my own network of friends and everything and, and get my own support. But I have a job. You know? And so there, I would just say, if you, if you can, and you should um, be willing be willing to move. One piece of advice that I would give people that are looking for jobs is never um, dismiss anything as an opportunity um, to network. I um, the summer between my senior junior and senior year of college, I was really upset because as Tiffany pointed out, um, it's hard to get jobs before you have, um, it's harder to get entry level jobs, you know, at restaurants and things like that. So I was frustrated because I didn't get, have a job and my parents said, get an unpaid internship. And I felt like that was settling. I was very wrong about that. I got an unpaid internship. I was grateful enough to be able to do that. And that turned into a job a year later. So, and it, it can be anything. It can be um, you know, going to Chamber of Commerce events, it can be volunteering. Those things, when I see people that say, you know, I'm really frustrated that I'm not getting a job and I'm, I'm looking for eight hours a day on the internet, well, that's great and that can definitely land someone a job. It, there's also a lot of merit in putting yourself out there by volunteering or putting yourself out there by networking or offering your skills in an unpaid capacity while you're transitioning to finding that. Your, a lot of times, your first job is not going to be your dream job. So don't dismiss, even if it's something you're not necessarily wanting to do, 
you are getting your foot in the door. I'm not doing what I want to do right now. Um, but I'm still working and I'm kind of extending out my networks and finding um, ways to do it. But a lot of times you have this illusion that, well, I graduated from college with insert degree here, so that means I'm going to be the next CEO of insert company. That's not how it's going to work. And I know that sounds pessimistic, but you know, you need to take the opportunities you are given and spin them in such a way that it becomes um, a positive for you and uh, just just don't expect to be like in your just perfect career right out of the gate, but you will get there. All right, thank you. What questions um, do we have from those listening? I mean, I've been working for over 10 years now for, uh, I actually work on my job. And I, well, I don't, that's not my training job. I mean, I work in, I'm actually been doing, I actually work two hours a day as a doctor tech trainer, which is a little bit better than all that. <clears throat> so that's what I want to do. The other question I have, do you guys know if the ACB has um, like a database, not a database, a, uh, uh, like a, um, uh, it's like a uh, discussion group or a discussion board about like on, uh, type of home-based businesses or things that you can do. You know, if you can't, if you can't get a job in your certain area, can you start doing some stuff on the side? start working with them, there's all kinds of opportunities out there and it may not necessarily be blind related, I guess, but um, just, you know, I, I'm just trying to think of something that I can do because I love the company I actually work for, I'd like to do something in that company, so I'm hoping that I can you know, kind of have my foot in the door already in there, but it's just, I'm curious if maybe um, you guys know of any uh, other networking opportunities for home-based type of businesses and maybe discussion groups in the, in the ACB, maybe you guys don't know that, but I'm going to repeat the question just to make sure that it got picked up by the recording. Um, so the question is, you know, does ACB or maybe other um, other enti entities do they have um, home-based job networking or ways that you know people could um, bounce ideas off of each other um, for some extra jobs on the side? I don't know of anything specifically through ACB, but I do know um, on, depending on your field, but I know that there are websites such as ideallist.org and places where you can um, find freelance type opportunities, some are paid, some are unpaid. So for instance, I've found um, interpreting jobs and translating side work on there. Um, but it's primarily for nonprofit work. Um, but I imagine through websites like that or even your local um, chamber of commerce, you can find resources um, that don't just particularly pertain to nonprofit work. Any other questions? Maybe I'll 
teach Braille, and I use her made through the same organization. Um, but I'm wondering, I'm actually getting plan to be in HR, and I've been there um, for a year and um, six months now, probably. Like what advice you might have in terms of recruiting, especially since it's, it's about the job time. Okay. Can you kind of rephrase your question? I don't think we're quite understanding. Um, so maybe what kind of advice you have in terms of recruiting? Finding a different job? Um, no, like for us to recruit um, people? For, Re to recruit people for? It's like, I don't, what kind of job are you recruiting? Yeah, we don't know your company. Um, so our company is, we primarily hire people who are blind. Um, but You're looking for a way to attract. Yeah. Got it. OK, so the question is, how can a company attract people who are blind or visually impaired? Um, and what, what kind of job would they be? Like, yeah, that's, yeah. Um, so what kind of job would they be? Um, so most of them are uh, in production, but because um, this is a national industry for the blind associated agency. But okay. There are sometimes um, jobs in admin area. I don't really know how to answer that. I'm sorry, particularly like. It's Can you say it on mic? Oh. Uh, I don't. Yeah, go for it because I don't even have. Um, I would certainly recommend conventions, um, but also, um, there are blindness websites, listservs. And once you you know get connected with one, you can kind of go down the go down the grapevine and get connected with other ones. So I know one example would be the Zone is one that has a job board. But once you find that one, you can get connected with other affiliates. Have them, NFB, ACB, all have different listservs. Can I ask a question, sir? Sure, of course. Okay, For students, yes. For students when you started. Um, isn't WRB like a big consortium of companies that are looking yeah. for government based? Actually, yeah, let me, I can, yeah, I can. So maybe okay. your company yep. could register with Yes, WRB. so we have. We have a, that's a really good point, Mary. Um, Mary said that since I was talking about WRP before, perhaps uh, Rachna could post um, positions um, with WRP. And that actually is, um, that is possible. We have, for the private sector, we have a website called WRP.jobs. And that is a place where companies can um, reach out and, and post positions for for and these would be for WRP um, candidates. Now the thing that WRP is though we uh, we are all disabilities, so it's not specific to blindness. So um, that's just a caveat I want to throw out there to you. Um, but I think that is a an incredible suggestion, Mary. So thank you for that. Any other questions? Well, back to volunteering, if I can. So. I understand what you're saying about volunteering. I mean, it can be good, but to me, it just seems, it also does seem kind of discouraging because, for example, I've, I've, even had, I've had opportunities to even volunteer in this organization, ACB. But the problem is, 
know, with technology rights, the problem is companies might see that on the resume. On the one hand, that might kind of discourage them and say, well, you find out about the blindness, so you, did, you know, you, you work for a blind organization. Well, okay, that's nice. But uh, the other thing is, is that if you know, when you're when you're going out there and doing type of work, I mean, especially with you know, just volunteering. I mean, if you're a programmer, if you're a, something like that, you're you're you know, you're doing some volunteer work. What if you're you're not sure if it's going to lead to anything? I, mean, I know you mentioned that it did for you, whatever. But in a lot of cases, you're going to go you volunteer work for organizations that you know maybe they don't have a lot of money, or maybe they're not going to, you know, it may not amount to something. Is it just a waste of time? I mean, no. This is Tiffany. It's not a waste of time. But honestly, you can. It sounds terrible, and Can especially. Can you repeat the question? That uh, absolutely. Sorry, I just want to make no, sure no, no, no. Totally. Um, so the question is: um, Is volunteering potentially could it be seen as a waste of time because it might not lead to employment? And that's just. I mean, it, it sounds kind of callous the way I'm going to say it, but that kind of is how it is. Um, right. It's not going. Volunteering is not a sure pathway to employment. What it is, though, is it a way to build up your experience. I understand also the question about disclosure. You're worried about putting, say, a blindness organization on a resume. That is, um, as Brooke said, there is a way to spin it, and I know, I know that's probably a whole different topic. Um, but what you can do, say, if you're a programmer and you volunteered, you now have a portfolio. You can say exactly what you did. You can show what you did, right? So. It's not necessarily always going to be, and more than likely, sad to say, it's probably not a pathway to employment unless you're lucky. But what it is is the ability to build up your skills if you continue to network through this volunteering, see, uh, continue to keep in contact with the people you volunteered with, perhaps they might know of opportunities they could lead you to. Maybe it's other volunteering opportunities. So you might get uh, sent through a web of, of different opportunities and land on something. But I think going into a volunteer opportunity expecting a job would be discouraging. Um, and I, yeah, that's <laughs> kind of where I'm at. <laughs> what I have to add, um, I don't have anything to add on the, the volunteering aspect that Tiffany just covered. I think she covered it well. But in terms of disclosure, it's a, absolutely a tricky balancing act and the thought of, well, if I put it on paper, they're just going to you know toss it aside and ignore it. But remembering that if it's a, a company that's going to uh, disregard um, people with disabilities, on a resume, well, even, even if you don't have something listed as a blindness organization on there and they pull you in for an interview, as soon as you go in, they're gonna, you know, it, whether you're a cane user or a dog user, they're going to know. And yeah. as, a, as a person who's partially sighted, I lived the first part of my life thinking, oh, I'm gonna see how far I can get by, and it just, I, we all know it doesn't work. Um, so, mm -hmm. but. There's a part of me that actually feels like putting on the resume that I'm visually impaired, that way I can just weed out some of them potential minorities. I don't know about doing that. Yes and no, and I mean, sometimes, uh, like I was talking about earlier, just owning who you are and being confident in who you are and putting it out there. Yep, I've done, this is a blindness organization, and here's all the stuff I've done for them, and making that the focus point of it. Yeah. The one really quick thing I'll add is, if they're going to, if, if they were going to not hire you based on the fact that you worked for a blindness organization, you probably didn't want to work for them anyway. Exactly. Yeah, that's, yep. Like in the same Can thing. I ask a question again? Oh, sure. You know, my thought is this. The job you're doing now is, in, didn't you say it's a technology 
Can I ask a question? Go. I would like to know um, from each of you when and how you did disclose your disability. Um, how did that come up? Did it come up, you know, on your resume? Did it come up in the interview? Did you? How did that go about? So it was technically on my resume, but I don't think. Um, my boss noticed because <laughs> I said that I was the treasurer of the American Council of Blind Students. Um, so when he pulled me in for the interview, he saw me and the dog and he just simply said, okay, you're just gonna have to educate me because I've never interviewed a blind person. And that was all it was. Um, so I had, a, I, was, I had a pretty good experience of just, they saw me, they went ahead and called out, hey, just so you know, I don't have this experience. And then I had the opportunity to, to say what I, wanted to say about it being an asset and that I'm open to questions and things like that. Uh, for me, it was in the interview. Again, I walked in with a guide dog, and, and so it was pretty evident. Um, the only part in my interview where anything about it actually came up was towards the end. Um, it was the uh, one of the other district speech pathologists and um, the supervisor for the speech pathologist who conducted my interview. And they mentioned towards the end, um, I think they asked me uh, what accommodations, if any, I would need for the job. Um, and that was about it. They're like, um, and at that point, you know, I was fresh out of grad school. I had all of my stuff, nice things that rehab had purchased for me. And so I told them, you know, I, at this time, I, I won't need anything specifically from you. And um, they were very much like, well, if that changes, you know, you know you come on with us, just let us know. And that was one of the things that I was like, okay, I would very much be okay working for this district since they're well aware of, of my rights as well and very supportive of them. And I was, I was lucky. My path was very disability-centric, right? Because WRP is for college students with disabilities. Um, so they knew right off the bat that I at least had some sort of disability. They don't say in your... Um, in, in that thing they put in the database. They don't say what your disability is, but they know that you have one. So um, I was able to you know, get my accommodations asked for the, um, pretty easily there. I then worked for National Industries for the Blind again. There you go. So like, not, not too shabby there. And then when I came back to ODEP, well, there I was. Now, one thing I will say, though, is you can really capitalize because there's a big push right now in in private sector for diversity and inclusion diversity and inclusion you are diversity and inclusion so you are as you know as Brooke even said you're an asset to this company right now so if you can kind of get your own skills and things together and and you know rock your interview or whatever a company is going to want you 
because I mean, it sounds it sounds kind of uh, like you are you're helping their quota, but they're paying you to help their quota. So it's kind of like, um, and I know that sounds a little like, but I mean, a job is a job is a job, and we need to get that seventy percent down and just you know use whatever skills and cards you have in your hand to to get ahead because no one else is going to do it for you. All right. Let's hear it for our panelists. Um, so the next sessions are going to start in about five minutes. We have um, plugging in about getting involved in leadership um, in ACB in here. Um, and upstairs, we have membership recruitment. OK? So we'll give a little time for a switcheroo. And thanks for coming. Are, are you all available for off the clock questions? Hey guys, there's like 76% unemployment right now. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So the other organization says, oh, it's because people just want to sit around the couch and eat potato chips and collect that social security. <laughs>
my vision loss is a piece of baggage that I bring to our relationship because it's a burden. I don't, like, you know, like, just like, not that he doesn't have his own baggage, but it's a, it's one of the pieces of my kids. I, you know, oh, one of them got my built-in chauffeur, like, but that means, you know, there, like, hey, drive me here. Hey, we get here. Hey, can you go back this up? Hey, you know. Like, you know, this is a piece of it. Yeah. Well, yeah. 
We're ready for our plugging in session. We have three panelists here. Um, panelists, if you could introduce yourself and tell us your current involvement in ACB. So this is where you get to do your whole resume of ACB involvement. So um, there is a mic. Uh, hello, hello. Oh, perfect. Okay. All right. Uh, Dan Spoon, uh, you, you want us to give all our ACB involvement? Go for Wake it. Me up. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Your current, current, oh, yeah. More. Just ACB? You don't need it, the state and local? Not really. Oh, go for it. Yep. State and local. Are you kidding? Okay. Y you don't have to tell it all. You can do your okay. quick elevator speech if you want. Uh, okay. Well, <laughs> all right. I'll, okay. Uh, Dan Spoon, um, American Council of Bynum, the first vice president. Um, I'm also the chair of the audio description project committee and I'm on the um, budget and finance committee, uh, the development uh, strategic planning group committee, the co marketing communications strategic planning group committee <laughs> chaired by Katie Frederick. <laughs> um, also the board liaison for SASE for the sight and sound impaired. And there's some more there. Oh, uh, co-chair of the Resource Development Committee. I'm the board liaison to the WALK Committee. Um, the first vice president of the Florida Council of the Blind and the second vice president of the Greater Orlando Council of the Blind. I'll leave it at that. Do you ever get those mixed that's up? All you, that's all you do, do <laughs> I'm first vice for this. I'm second the vice for that. Special projects. First, second. <laughs> and he says he's retired. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I'm Rachel Schroeder, and uh, my resume is going to be nothing compared to these two. Um, I, I'm current. Thank you. I'm currently president of Illinois Council of the Blind. Um, my membership um, started off in Florida Council of the Blind. Yay, Florida! Um, and so um, I started out there and worked through what... See, now you made me do it again. Why did you have to change the name on us? Their name now is Greater Orlando Council of the Blind, but it used to be Mid-Florida Council of the Blind when I was president. Um, and I've had some involvement in ACB radio. Um, I still do a little bit of ACB radio stuff now, but my, my full-time job, I have a full-time job um, as an assistive technology specialist, but my real full-time job is a mom of a two-year-old. So um, that's the most important job. But ACB is right up there with it. Um, so um, that's kind of my involvement with ACB. It's just been long-term and a lot of state and local stuff and some national stuff. I've been Actually, I'm on the Women's Concerns Committee on national. I almost forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. Okay, um, well again, for those who don't know my voice by now, I'm Katie Frederick, and I currently serve as the Executive Director of the American Council of the Blind of Ohio. I also serve on the Board of Directors of ACB, and as Dan Spoon said, I currently chair ACB's marketing and communications efforts as they are um, part of our strategic plan moving forward, so we're really focusing on marketing and communications and some other some other areas as well. Um, I'm also um, chair of our public relations committee and involved with the I'm a liaison to the board of publications as well as my other affiliate liaisons um, as a board member of ACB. So. Um, keeps me busy outside of my ACB Ohio job, which also has many conference calls and things to attend to. So 
Um, it's funny, uh, just quickly as a humorous note, sometimes when I dictate, I'll say something about ACB or something, and it'll say conference line. It'll automatically put it in because I have a lot of conference numbers in my phone, so sometimes it'll just say conference call or conference line in my text. Um, but um, um, prior to, to my current involvement, I, again, as I alluded to earlier, I began my involvement by attending the national convention at ACB in 2004, and then I, I came back to Ohio as a student in college and said, hey, I want to get more involved. So I was, I was a student liaison to our, our Ohio Board of Directors. And then in 2007, because, again, because my affiliate knew me and knew who I was and what I could bring, I was asked to serve on our, on our Ohio Board of Directors. And I, I served, on, served in that role for a couple of, of two-year term positions, and then I was elected as our state secretary in 2011. Served in that role for a two-year term, and then was ultimately hired as our executive director. Um, again, because of my past involvement and past experience with the affiliate, they knew what they were, what they were getting, and they liked, they liked me. So um, that's you know a very brief, brief involvement. Um, history for me. All right, thank you. So let's dig a little bit deeper into what first drew you into ACB. Um, so why did you get involved in the first place? And what made you stay? So I will start since I have the mic. Um, so the, I love this question. I, I, I love answering it because ACBB means so much to me, um, personally and professionally. So when... Um, when I first joined ACB, when I, when I went to my first convention, as I said earlier, I didn't know people who were blind or visually impaired, or I didn't know very many who were. And so just meeting everyone and understanding that, you know, wow, I can, you know, I'm going to be just fine. I'm, I'm doing all right. You know, I have my, have my first guide dog, and we're, I was going into college, and, you know, we were doing our college thing. But, you know, meeting other students was huge for me, meeting others who were interning, as students, were, was huge for me. The networking, again, we've talked about this off and on today. Networking is is a buzzword, but it's it's so true. I mean, I've met I met people um, in 2004 that I, I still talk to today, and and I, I cherish that. So you know, for me, again, it was a combination of of professional um, meeting people and also um, making some personal friends and connections through ACB. And you know, now when I when I go places or I'm, I'm traveling or, you know, I tell my, my parents I'm going to, you know, to Omaha for a conference or somewhere and they're like, how many states do you know people from? You probably know someone from every state because of ACB. And I know people from around the world because of ACB. And so, again, just, just that, that connection. And, and what, what keeps me coming back is, yes, you know, like Eric said earlier, he, we get frustrated with the advocacy. We get frustrated with the struggles that we face every day when we have to deal with paratransit or whatever. But what keeps me coming back is the fact that we need, you know, we need to advocate. We have to keep pushing, and we need to keep striving for a more accessible world. And so, um, you know, because because I understand the issues that we face and the the challenges, um, I, I keep coming back for more. Um, I, you know, it just it's it's really um, again the connections and the um, the ability to to see change and i think you know for me we've, we've accomplished a lot within acb that we need to be proud of you know some of the some of the legislation that we've passed and so again that kind of drives me to to keep making those calls and keep keep pushing and keep connected 
Hey, it's Rachel. And what brought me to ACB, um, I initially got into ACB um, as a student. Um, I was in St. Augustine, Florida, and um, there was a student chapter, very small. It was only a few people that attended any time, but it was really, I don't even remember doing any kind of advocacy stuff at that point. I think for, I think really what it, the purpose that it served was just to kind of introduce without any kind of obligation to do anything, kind of, kind of um, plant the seed, so to speak, of getting involved. And so I got involved there. I went to college, and I really kind of didn't do anything while I was in college. You know, I really just focused on my schoolwork. I was moving around quite a bit. I got a guide dog, you know. So, so at the time when I was in college, my priorities, and so those of you in college and who are also part of ICB doing, or um, ACB doing advocacy work, I think is awesome because, you know, I just, at that time, I, I focused on my college stuff. But um, then I worked for a couple years, and I got married, you know, and just a lot of other life things. And very, I think actually it was the year I got married. Um, one of the jobs that I, or no, two years after, one of the jobs I worked at, um, I actually, I'm going to embarrass Leslie, but um, I was, <laughs> she was my student. <laughs> and she had gotten involved in um, MFCB, Mid-Florida Council of the Blind. And she had mentioned to me, and actually I also have to um, pay a little tribute to one of our ACB angels, Patty Land, um, who was also somebody I had known for a long time. I knew her, she says she'll, she said that she knew me when I was four years old, and, and she had also, you know, talked to me through the years while I wasn't involved, and just kind of kept, kept that idea in my head, you know, didn't push me to do anything, you know, and I, I know I wasn't resistant to it. I was just, my priorities were different at that time. But when Leslie was in my class, we were doing something and she mentioned it and oh, yeah, you know, I'm in a good position now to do something about that. So I went to the meeting. I think they still hold their meetings in the same place that uh, we did back in, you know, that back in the day. <laughs> Um, and so I got involved in the local um, chapter, and then they were going to board meetings. So they were, hey, come on with us. I remember we went to Jacksonville to a uh, board meeting and conventions in Jacksonville. I thought, you know, this is really kind of cool. And so it just went from there, and I, I really just kind of worked through, met people, networked first, and then kind of showed my interest on the state level got involved on the board, got involved in several committees, and then I worked through and actually worked on the national level to a degree um, and just kind of stayed involved that way, just through people I knew and, and through special interest types of things that I wanted to do. And the reason that I stayed, and the, really the reason that I started, was that, and I, I take this from Paul Edwards' Um, who, uh, those of you who don't know, is a past president of ACB, and um, he's still involved in Florida Council. Um, but one of the things that he said always has stuck with me, and that people for us worked so hard to get us what we have now, because it, has, it hasn't always been this good. You know, we don't, I, I don't think a lot of times that we appreciate what we have now as much as, because 
we didn't always have that. People worked hard for us to get to where we are today with accessibility and, and everything. And I feel like I owe it to the people that worked before us to continue working our, our advocacy efforts so that, I, guys, I also owe it to the people after us the students, um, the young professionals here today, to continue the work so that they can have it better than we have it now. And so that's why I do this, because I want to continue moving forward rather than taking you know, two steps up, one step back all the time. So I think if we, if we don't continue that, if I don't continue my part of that effort, you know, then it's not going to be any better for people that come after us. And they're going to have to fight the same battles again just to get back to where we are now. So I owe it to both sides, the people before us and the people after us, to continue to uh, work on the advocacy efforts in, in ACB. Well, um, you know, uh, Leslie and I kind of... Uh, we didn't even we didn't meet at a council of the blind convention we actually met at a foundation fighting blindness because we both have retinitis pigmentosis and yeah, so <laughs> yeah, well, yeah yeah and and so um we we met at a at a convention in washington dc so i always say thank god i was blind because i got to meet leslie so it, it was wonderful uh that you know you were able to meet somebody and have a lifelong relationship with them out of a convention <laughs> and so uh, and I think that's happened to others <laughs> but um, but you know where we really got involved in the Council of the Blind first at the local level and then at the state level and then eventually at, at the ACB level was really it was about support it was really about finding other people that were going through the same pardon my French shit that we were going through you know that we were that we were just really you know, it was nice to be, you know, in the hallway with somebody else was trying to find their room, you know, or in a restaurant and was having a hard time reading a non-accessible menu, you know. And so it, there was some strength in numbers there that for at least a few weeks a year when we went to a state convention uh, and then later on the national conventions, we weren't alone. There were a whole bunch of other people going through it with us. And for a period of time, we were actually in the majority, which was like really, really cool. Uh, and so uh, that's, I think, at least for me, where involvement in the Council of the Blind started. And then talking about getting plugged in. So you kind of, you, you start at the local level and then somebody says, well, you know, we have a wonderful opportunity here at the state level. Our membership secretary has passed away, and we understand you're pretty good at databases. Could you help a little bit? And before you know it, you're the membership secretary, and you're entering 2,000 names in, a data, in an old D4 database that's falling apart and trying to figure out what you're doing. And so you kind of grow from those challenges, but as Katie and, and Rachel said, along the way, you, you, make, you make all these connections and all these friends. and you kind of can't wait till you get to the next state convention to see people again that you haven't seen for a while. And then, uh, in Orla we, we didn't go to an ACB convention. Two ACB conventions came to us. So we lived in Orlando, Florida, and in 98, ACB had a convention there. And Leslie and I had just gotten married. Rachel was young. So we, we kind of got a group together and through... Uh, working with Paul Edwards, he got us on the agenda, and we actually did a 
singles mingle. We thought young people ought to be able to get together and meet other blind people at the convention. So we put together a single mingles with all kind of games. And I'll never forget the final one was guys had to, to blow up balloons and put them on their laps. And then a woman had to sit on the balloon, which was a, a really pretty pretty fun activity, but it scared the bejesuses out of all the dogs when the balloons started popping, so it was not well thought out, but we all had a good time. And so uh, so then in, in 2009, when the convention came back to Orlando again, that was the, the second time we went to the convention, yeah, and and at that point in time, we, we attended the, the auction, and we bid on a... Um, uh, we bid on a, a package to Nashville, Tennessee. Leslie had gone to sleep, and she said, Dan, whatever you do, don't spend a bunch of our money. And I came back up, and I said, well, I did. Sp I spent uh, over $1,000, and we bought a package to go to Nashville. She said, what do we want to do that for? But anyway, but it was Dan and Brenda Dillon hosted us at this uh, weekend package in Nashville, Tennessee, where we got to go the Tennessee Performing Arts Center and see an audio described play and go to the Grand Ole Opry. But then they invited us to their house for dinner and games and we were hooked. They, you know, we kind of knew each other by then and they got us, asked us if we would get involved in the resource development committee, just a little one hour a month phone call and nothing more. And and from that, that was kind of the plug-in that you're that, that this thing, and and that connected us to folks at the national level, and then there were more opportunities and more opportunities after that. But uh, I I really think, and now I I can't imagine. I don't know how you you feel, Katie, but I can't imagine not going to a national convention. I now I now schedule my. My vacation, you know, my vacation. Well, I, now I'm retired, so thank God. But back when I had a few weeks vacation, I had to schedule a week of my vacation first of the year that I was going to be at the ACB convention and I was going to be at the state conventions. And I'm still waiting for St. Louis. I yeah. spent the last three years yeah. of raising my daughters. Right, I'm, right. I'm, I'm but 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 I do say, <laughs> as you go through your life journey, we talked about work-life balance earlier today. You're going to go in and out of the council of the blind. You're going to have hot spots and low spots because life gets in the way. But just stay connected at the level you can stay connected. And, and at the end, it'll be a very rewarding experience for you. Did we answer right. that question enough for you? <laughs> now we're probably out of time, sir. No, you did great. We've got, we've got plenty of time. Okay. Um, the next question I, I think has already been touched on a little bit, but if someone has more to share, um, why should someone here in our audience today get more, um, more plugged in to ACB? I just want to Kind of going back to what Dan said just a moment ago, um, and I think this is important for us to recognize as leaders within ACB. If you are sitting out there saying, "Gosh, you know, I I want to be involved, but I I can't right now. I have, you know, I have X or Y going on in my life, and I just don't feel like I can commit to serving on your committee or doing this or doing that. But I can, um, you know, maybe I can give you." $10 a month or $10 a year, or maybe I can help by keeping your social media up to date, which 
would take you know five minutes of my time a day or um, again something that we we all bring something to each each level of our involvement so we all bring a gift we all have a strength and I think the more that we as as leaders and as members look at that in terms of, of okay yes they may not be you may not be able to chair to chair a committee but but you can you can help out with this other task and again if, if you can't help saying no is is fine and you know keep keep reading our newsletter keep you know keep engaged and keep keep aware stay aware of what's going on follow us on social media um, because it's it's okay that you can't give all of yourself right now but um, be you know be honest about what you can or can't commit to and I think that'll help all of us grow and and stay plugged in and connected as we move forward within ACB as a whole. Um, I think too, I, I like what Katie said too, but I also something to think about um, is that it's great for the resume. Um, if you're wanting to build up your volunteerism, if you're wanting to build up you know, all kinds of experience. You're doing it in a safe environment where everybody is understands what you're going through and understands that everybody has certain um, talent sets and, and that kind of thing. And you're in a safe environment to do that and to learn to learn from people who have been there to and to share the things that you learned along the way with other people who may be just one step behind you or something so that again we we fall back on that networking but it it also works well for you to to be able to put that on the resume as experience life experience volunteerism and all that fun stuff yeah 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 i i, I com completely concur and and i think you do a lot of times you know it's hard to get work experience uh for us when we're getting started uh, Council of the Blind is a wonderful place to get work experience. You just don't get paid for it. But think of it as an unpaid internship. Um, you, where else could you go in, in, in have, you know, if you haven't ever done it before, you know, get involved to, you know, work with a hotel and plan a conference. And all that goes into that, you know. How many room nights are there? How many square footage of ballroom space do you get? How many, how many, uh, you know, how much do you have to commit as far as a menu price and all these guys? You know, it, it's maybe not at some huge level, but you really get to learn all the different parts that go into planning an event. Um, if you're involved in a scholarship committee, you get to learn the whole process of putting a form together and evaluating and making the decision uh, like you were hiring somebody for a job. You're really hiring somebody for a scholarship. So how do you go through all those steps? What made it, why did you pick the scholarship winner you picked and why did you not pick the one that you didn't pick? Those are things that help you with your next job interview. What, what resonated with you when you were on that uh, scholarship committee? making that decision. So there's many uh, tools you can put in your toolkit, in your, in your toolbox, to take uh, through your work-life journey that you get those kind of skills by getting involved in the Council of the Blind. Awesome, thank you so much. Um, what questions do we have for our panelists? Uh, I have a question. Okay, I'm gonna bring a mic to you. Before
before you ask, before you have the mic, the one other thing I got at is you get to have a lot of fun, yeah. and yeah. fun is the most important thing. <laughs> <laughs> so this is Brooke. Um, my question is, so it's August 6th or whatever day it is, 5th right now, and I'm involved with a lot, I read a lot of newsletters and things like that. What are other practical ways between now and next convention that I can um, serve and I'm, since I'm not affiliated right now? So, Brooke, I think, um, you know, again, ACB is putting together our strategic plan. Um, and some of the areas that we're focusing on include membership, conventions and meetings, um, marketing and communications, and resource and development. So if you think you have some ideas for either or all, or all of those groups, um, you know, feel free to reach out to me or Dan or Eric. Um, and, you know, we're happy to to involve more people in the planning process as we move forward. Um, I think that's, that's the way, um, you know, any ideas you have or any, any feedback you have. Um, I think, you know, I think, you know, the, the term non-affiliated, um, you know, reading the newsletters is good. I think, um, you know, again, um, if, if ACB posts something on social media that you see, um, if you feel compelled to share that, again, you know, each, each share or each engagement that way is a way that you're engaging and you're also engaging your friends to see, look, look what ACB is doing. Um, I, think, I think those are some, some ways, um, you know, you know I, I don't know what, what your interest might be, but you know, we have a ton of awesome committees that do a lot of awesome work. So you know, if, if, you're, um, if you wanna get involved at a, at a committee level, that's, that could be an option. Um, does that help? Yeah, thank you. Sure. I want to. I get it first. Oh, you get it first. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, and Katie stole some of what I was going to say, which is good. But um, I think too that um, you not you're not involved in it. It might be because you don't have a, a an area chapter. But I would remind you also that there are special interest groups too that you can plug yourself into. Um, and also, I think one good thing to plug in here um, as well as well is that. We're involved every day, regardless of whether we know it or not, whether we want to be or not. On a daily basis, as we're out there in the public, we are educating people as to what blind people can do and what our opportunities are. And, you know, it might be a simple thing as you being on the street, seeing somebody and, you know, talking to somebody, striking up a conversation and saying, you know, I'm involved with ACB or I know this great organization, ACB, that I'm just starting to get involved in. And that might just be the spark that brings somebody else to ACB. And so there's a lot of opportunities that you can creatively look for that that would get you involved in one way or another. And it might seem very small, but it might actually be very big. And I'm giving it to Dan now. All right, Brooke. This is Dan. Let's make a deal. So uh -oh. <laughs> I, talk, I talk to Kim, our president, very often. She's the one who pulls all the committees together. So oh, let me ask... Let me ask. Let me ask you, because where? What are your interests? Well, Leslie just said women concerns, and I said Yay! yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, I, from, from from the panel you were on and, and the whole work life experience, the Women's Concern Committee would be a great place there. If anything in audio description interests you at all, let me know. We have we have eight different subcommittees under audio description. Everything from media to yeah, yeah, but but there, are, but but no, seriously. It's seriously not not joking. Really, if you do want to get in, involved, that that is one of the best ways. Is just talk to Katie and I and say, this is kind of what interests us, and we we truly are. We are looking all over the place for folks who want to get involved in our committees. We we really really are that in in what you have to be careful of. You know how much time can you commit and those type of things, and that's part of the discussion. But. But honestly, there's really lots of opportunities out there. Uh, and, 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 and I think, I would say almost all our committees, are, they're really looking for people with energy who would like to get involved. Mm -hmm. All right, any other questions? <laughs> Leslie's over here thinking of committees for her. Yeah, I said I could think of some as well, yeah. We, we won't overwhelm you. We yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No. <laughs> All right. Well, let's thank our panelists. And not just Brooke. If anyone else would like to get involved, please touch base with Katie, I, or Rachel. We'll be happy to talk to you. All right. Next session is upstairs. Um, I think we have a few minutes yet, so don't have to hurry or anything like that. And, uh, yep. Yes. Yeah, the next session is social media. It's just a free time for people to ask each other questions about social media concerns.